Welcome to The Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shout-outs, fun facts, and weekly banner in 10 minutes or less. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome, Dr. McGrew, and welcome, uh, Dr. Schmidt, to Fracture Line. We're excited to have you guys both on. Before we get started, why don't you just briefly give us an overview of who you are, where you are, and wh- where you're, what you're doing right now. My name is Patrick McGrew. I'm an assistant professor here at Tulane University School of Medicine. I trained uh, in my general surgery residency in New Mexico and Albuquerque, and then I did my fellowship at, uh, in Las Vegas uh, when it was still University of Nevada, Reno. It's now UNLV. And then I, uh, my first job out is here, uh, New Orleans at Tulane. Uh, I practice uh, trauma, uh, acute care, surgical critical care uh, at Tulane, mostly at uh, University Medical Center, which is right down the street. And then I do some acute care surgery at, in ICU at uh, Tulane Hospital and at the VA. Hey, uh, I'm Kyle Schmidt. I am uh, originally from Miami, Florida. General surgery training in New Orleans, Lafayette, and Baton Rouge. Um, I'm currently the Trauma and Surgical Critical Care Fellow at Advocate Illinois Masonic in Chicago. Uh, so a little bit of a change, but uh, some fun times. Uh, so after this, probably want to do trauma and uh, emergency general surgery wherever. Awesome. So you just published a paper that we really want to talk about and highlight today called Surgical Stabilization of Rib Fractures is Associated with Improved Survival but increased acute respiratory distress syndrome. Very interesting paper, I really enjoyed it. Just for our listeners, if you don't mind uh, kind of recapping your, your study in a nutshell in, in your findings. Benefits of surgical uh, stabilization of rib fractures are well known. I mean, we've all kind of drank the Kool-Aid in terms of that. Really what the purpose of this paper is to discuss the complications of rib fractures as well as the complications that are usually associated with rib fracture stabilization. You know, every one in 10 trauma patients will come in with some form of rib fractures and those complications extend from ARDS to sepsis to death, um, as well as the long-term complications that are usually associated with them from chronic pain to decreased ability to work to uh, debility and morbidity um, associated with those if they're not fixed. Now, while the benefits have been studied to the nth degree that surgical stabilization of root fractures can help in certain cases, how do we begin to expand out that patient population that determines this? So we looked at the National Trauma Database, which is uh, through this retrospective cohort study, which looks at 700 trauma centers, um, and we use ICD-10 codes to identify our six study groups. And we our specific outcomes that we looked at were ARDS and mortality. And spoiler alert, Surgical stabilization of rib fractures definitely improve survival as well as with those people in flail. However, it is associated with increased incidence of ARDS um, in three or more rib fracture fixations. Now, this ARDS um, complication is also compounded with the use of blood transfusions, but the situation is a little bit more complicated. This paper is an effect paper. It evaluates the effects of surgical stabilization of rib fractures on patients rather than vice versa, which is really something that has been looked at before. Now, our study groups were basically divided into six people based on ICD-10 codes. Those with single rib fractures treated non-operatively, as well as those treated with surgical stabilization. Multiple rib fractures, meaning three or more, treated non-operatively and with stabilization, and those with flail. So any two or more rib fracture flail segment that were um, identified. We examined mortality, development of ARDS. Now, 
when you look at all of this, the limiting factor is always the ICD-10 codes. We don't know the temporal relationship of when these codes were actually put in. We don't know the, uh, the timing of surgical stabilization of refractors, and we don't know the event eventual development of ARDS. Now, as you look through this, we were able to get a broad sense of how much rib fracture plating and stabilization is actually happening. And out of the uh, 114,000 patients that we looked at, only 1,600 of them, or 1.4%, actually underwent surgical stabilization. The mean age was 57. There was a kind of a, a preponderance of males versus females. Their injury severity scores were also tended to be much more increased for flail chest and multiple rib fractures. The patient demographics were also um, kind of a little bit skewed. Um, blacks, Hispanics, Latinos, African-Americans, um, people without insurance, uh, Medicare patients were also kind of um, geared away from surgical stabilization. Big things that we um, determined though, the really meat of the study was that there was a higher mor uh, mortality of those uh, receiving non-operative management, uh, 2.5 versus 4.8. So surgical stabilization um, improved mortality. And this is the real first study to kind of show that outcome. However, surgical stabilization was also associated with longer duration of stay, longer ICU stay, longer mechanical uh, ventilation, and a higher incidence of development of ARDS. Now, this is an association. It is not necessarily a direct cause, and that's the thing that you have to keep in mind when you're evaluating something like this. So patients with, uh, although there was an increased incidence of ARDS, patients with flail chest benefited most compared with other patient populations. Now, this was associated with improved survival, um, and that survival benefit has not been found in other, um, other studies. Now, even though they have longer hospital stays, the temporal relationship based on those codes confounding uh, variable. So really what this showed is that surgical stabilization is not a benign procedure. There is an association with hospital complications, increased ICU stay. Now, when you look at this and compare this, this database and this uh, database dive was taken in 2016. Now, since then, we have increased techniques, we have improved um, methods, and we have improved systems that have provided shorter operative times, um, increased ability to fix more plates, and have increased our inclusion criteria for the, the patients that benefit most from this. So really what I think this paper does is it create uh, allows the pendulum to swing in the opposite direction. Everyone is try to plate everyone. This may allow us to pump the brakes a little bit and really kind of look at what are the benefits, what are the risks of this type of procedure, and gives us a better idea of how we educate our patients. Because when we're discussing this with our colleagues and when we're discussing this with these patient families, we want to be as knowledgeable as possible as well as be able to clearly and succinctly take them through the risk benefits alternatives of the procedure. But this shows us that we need to continue to look at it and we need to continue to drink that Kool-Aid, uh, preserve the phrase, because um, it allows us to treat these patients in a non-operative method where before their only hope was pain control, epidurals, increased pulmonary toilet. Um, this provides a method that, that improves pain, improves chest wall mechanics, and allows them to get back to a normal life without the gross stability of uh, a massive chest wall trauma causing respiratory compromise. The issue here is association and causation. I mean, that's the major question when you read this paper. It's it, it's clearly an association, but is there is there any reason to believe that there is a causal link? And if so, how do you explain the fact that patients had lower mortality, uh, even though they had a higher incidence of ARDS? Either ARDS wasn't as lethal as we expect it to be, or uh, the patients that are dying are not the patients with ARDS, something like that. I mean, there has to be some, there's some, a disconnect there. There's a cognitive disconnect between those two conclusions. And I just wondered if you have a, you have an explanation for that, Patrick and Kyle, uh, in your mind. And then secondly, the question, 
is does this inform us does this inform me tomorrow when I have a patient with a bad crushed chest who I know is going to get worse before they get better can I use this results of the study to to justify fixing them on day one or day two in hopes of mitigating the ARDS phenomenon or should we live in dread of making the ARDS more prevalent and more severe if we proceed with early fixation? I guess those are two of the questions that I have. Yeah, th those are great questions, Dr. White. Uh, to answer your first question, I 100% agree we see kind of a uh, association but not a causality in, in this study. And that's like one of the limitations of the study. It is a review of a, uh, the NTDB database, right? So there's, uh, there's umpteen unknowns that you would want to know uh, before making any like firm conclusions. Uh, does surgical stabilization in rib fractures truly cause ARDS, or does it even really cause a decrease in mortality? Um, but I think both those things are uh, are not uh, proven with this study, but they are associations for sure. Uh, I think we can't draw any any uh, like strong conclusions. What what I do think we can do is say, okay, well we've observed. Uh, based on this large database review that, uh, you know, we do see an improvement in mortality in these patients. So that's reassuring. But we also know that there's an increase in uh, ARDS uh, with, you know, three-plus rib fractures and surgical uh, fixation. So in my mind, the real value there is, is outside of further research questions, like it, it obviously brings up more research questions and possibilities. Outside that, when, what you bring to the, hot, the bedside is, okay, this is what I'm gonna counsel my patients and, my, and, my, and the family members, and this is what I'm gonna to talk to the team taking care of this patient about. So we're gonna do these rib, this, this rib plating. What are we gonna look out for afterward? And what, what can we do now to address what we, what we see coming down the road, which is uh, this ARDS picture? Um, and that's, uh, I, I think that's valuable for two reasons. One, uh, we can talk to our uh, colleagues, because these, these patients are truly co-managed with anesthesia for, for that period of time in the OR and with our colleagues post-op, if you're not the person rounding on them in the ICU, for example, you can talk to your colleagues and say, look, this is what we need to look out for. This is what we've seen. So this is what we need to do to limit the effects of, of uh, ARDS in, in this population. And then again, you know, it's another thing to counsel your, your patient's family, uh, which I think is, is extremely valuable. That's one of the reasons that I like to do this type of research is because uh, to me, as a as a faculty member, and also as a as a person who trains students and residents, um, the informed consent is extremely important. And your second question is, why do these people with with more rib fractures uh, get ARDS, and and why does mortality seem to decrease in some um, in, in some uh, rib fractures? And with flail chest, why is it that we don't see an effect on mortality? And I, and I don't know. Um, short answer. Um, again, I think that's part of one of the limitations of the study is that we just don't have enough data um, to say, okay, uh, here's what's causing this cognitive disconnect. I, I totally agree. It's, it's, a little, it's a little confusing. Yeah, it'd really be nice if we had a tool that would help us identify those patients that are going to get worse with plating. I know it sounds very simple-minded, but most of us, I don't have a good feeling for who those patients are. You know which risk factors define the patient that you're going to make worse by plating them early. That's that's the that's the million dollar question because everybody else, with, you know the relevant anatomy and the and the and the physiologic perturbations that we look for, et cetera. That we 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 I think we've learned or we believe that those patients are going to get well 
with an early, well-performed operation. But but there is there is going to be a subgroup of people. It sounds like from this 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 study and others that that we're going to hurt. And we, I just don't have a feeling for who those people are. I totally and, agree, uh, Dr. White. I just think uh, yeah, I, I wish we could answer that question with this study. Um, I don't know that we'll be able to answer that question with a large database study ever. Um, it might require you know a randomized controlled trial or yeah. a prospectively maintained trial. One other piece of in interesting piece of data was it looked to me, if I'm interpreting this correctly, of the 1,666 patients who got SSRF in this cohort, almost half of them only had one or two ribs repaired. And that's really, that's not my experience, Mark. I don't think that would be your experience. I mean, our average rib fractures is around five per repair, you know, per ribs per repair average. But the, the number of cases where we only fix one or two ribs is much, much less than 45%, at least in our experience. Do you have a feeling for why, uh, if this is a real phenomenon or if this is some sort of selection thing, or is this, is it, are there people out there commonly plating one or two ribs? That's a, that's a great question. Again, something we can't answer from this study, I can tell you anecdotally, I, I know um, and have spoken to many surgeons who will, will plate uh, you know, a small number of ribs, one or two. Um, I think uh, I think what this what this study does highlight is that there is a practice variability out there that uh, uh, maybe um, we're not uh, a lot of us aren't aware of. It'd be interesting to look at where where you know the the spectrum of where people are getting rib plating community versus level one versus level two versus you know academic and uh, what that looks like. Um, I don't know that, that that contributes to how many how many ribs are getting plated and who who's plating them and how, and it also highlights the fact that the vast majority of rib fractures are not treated with surgical stabilization in the first place. I mean, you can see that from from um, just yeah. the opening data as well. But um, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so just anecdotally, I do I do hear about patients who get uh, one or two ribs plated, and you know, in our institution, sometimes there's there are those patients who need like for whatever reason, usually it seems like pain, uh, just a small yeah. number, one or two ribs plated. We all, have, we all have those cases. I just can't, I can't believe it makes up 45% of the patients that are being done in this data set. It's, it's pretty amazing. How does contusion play into this, to your study and your conclusions? Is contusion a marker for risk for ARDS? You're talking about, you're, you're describing ARDS here, but much more commonly we see bad pulmonary contusion, which doesn't quite reach the ARDS criteria. Is it a surrogate for, for, for ARDS? What, what do you think of, what do you make of contusion? Yeah, I think clinically you can't ignore contusion. I mean, that's one of the things we kind of mentioned in our, um, you know, our discussion. And, uh, you know, we all expect pa patients with profound contusions to be more at risk for ARDS. And I think, uh, I think most, most clinicians feel that way. In my mind, the real question about contusions, like how do you grade a contusion and how does it relate to um, the risk for ARDS? And how does that relate to the timing of surgical stabilization of rib fractures? Should you jump on it early and uh, plate um, like day one, uh, day two if you can, before the contusions really blossom? Or should you wait till they resolve, which could, you know, as we all know, be a lengthy process? I, I just don't, I don't think we know that, but I, I totally agree, contusions are sort of I think the thing in the back of your mind that, that, uh, that when, when I'm thinking about a patient that would benefit from uh, surgical stabilization, stabilization rear fractures, like how do you manage those pre-enter and post-op? This paper, I love these types of papers because they all of a sudden generate like 10 more papers or at least 10 more studies. 
Um, one, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you were part of Slack, we had this uh, one doctor, I'm not sure who his name now, um, but commented on doing um, intrathoracic rib plating, and he would, he, he took him like 10 hours to do bilateral chests, and one of them was, um, one of them he did, he did, he did, you know, single lung ventilation for on each side for about four hours each. And then the patient had ARDS, and the question was, is, was it because his partners delayed the operation, or whether it was because, what was the cause of the ARDS? And so I, I, you know, again, this is a retrospective, you know, database study. We have no idea what the techniques were or anything else. But that's another question to ask is, you know, maybe these patients who are really, really sick, we're doing wall ventilation while we're fixing those ribs, and that's actually causing ARDS to the opposite side. We don't know that information either. So it's just, it just really does show up and give us so much more questions that we could really look at to see how to answer. So it's, I, I applaud you for that reason, because I'm, I was like, wow, this is going to be, adding so much more to CWIS. We have at least another 10 years of CWIS studies now so that we can keep going with our society. It's also an opportunity to shamelessly plug SID, our database, our prospective database. And if you guys aren't participants in that or haven't thought seriously about joining the, the team, the database team, we'd, we'd love to have you on board. You, know, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's the, These retrospective databases are so have numerous flaws and uh, some of those some of those can be obviated by prospective collection of data so I encourage anyone who's interested in participating in the prospective collection of data via SID to get get on board contact Sarah and she'll tell you how to get get started just so I want to remind everybody who's listening to the fracture line that um, if their organization um, meets criteria for a CWIS collaborative center to please go through the uh, the documentation is very easy to do and submit their uh, their organization so that they can be um, identified as a center that actually follows all of our uh, guidelines as well. Um, I think it's going to be very helpful in the near future for people to have that as a uh, little tick on their uh, on the chart to prove that they really know what they're doing um, and that they'll be able to help out patients a lot more. So please uh, go, go, uh, go to the website and um, log in and uh, submit your application. Yeah, I just want to add a couple things. So as far as other upcoming stuff, you were looking at the newsletter this week. We announced the date for the November forum, which is Wednesday, November 10th, and it's going to be a full online symposium um, that kind of replaces what was the research symposium last year. Um, so there's a morning session. If you're domestic side, um, there's a morning symposium or morning session and an afternoon session. Um, hopefully that will kind of accommodate everybody's time zones. Um, we've got some really great speakers lined up and some interesting things. So put, put that on your calendar Wednesday, November 10th, and um, more information will be coming. But, but for now, hold, hold that. Um, I did get a couple questions about the dates for the um, 2022 summit. And we're still figuring out with the hotel and hands-on lab and things like that, the exact parameters of when when things will be, um, as well as whether or not we'll be doing a gala and some of those kind of shenanigans. So the program committee is meeting and the agenda is, is coming together, but just for now, um, the, the, what you want to hold is that last week in April between Wednesday and Saturday. Um, and it will be somewhere within that footprint, probably like a two and a half day meeting. Um, but the exact parameters are yet to be determined, and the program committee is, is hard at work and very excited to have more to, to share soon. So for those that are, are looking to block their time, and you all are, 
um, at least put that on your calendar. My other update is a shout out in my last final stitch. Um, I said that I would give a shout out to our um, industry partners who reached out and I actually had three and they were all just like bam 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 and so I, I decided to honor all three because I think that's important and thank you for listening and responding back and being on top of all news CWIS to KLS Martin, Atricure, and Zimmer Biomet. Um, we super appreciate your, your support for our uh, organization and our ongoing meetings and certainly, you know, being fans of the Fracture line. So thank you very much. Why don't we move on to the final stitch? So uh, Dr. K, you wanted to start us off. Yeah, I just want to start us off. Um, I just came back from vacation. Um, again, it wasn't a vacation, it was a trip. Um, when you have so many kids, you don't have a vacation. Um, I have a nice tan from it, but that's about it. Oh, but um, it's amazing, I came back to the hospital and we are just overwhelmed in our hospital. I'm assuming other places are as well, um, but everyone is really, really tired of what's going on in our, in our, in our world right now. And I just want to just thank everyone who's doing it as much as they're doing because it's just, it's, it's an enormous task. And um, all the nurses and all the, we, have, we only have five RTs in my entire hospital right now. And, you know, just people who do so much work and who try so hard to help us out um, and to take care of patients and really are sticking it out to, for patient good, is, it's impressive. And I just want to make sure people know that we all do appreciate all that they do. I just wanted to uh, say thank you to everyone from the bottom of my heart. And I think I speak for all the physicians um, that I work with uh, that we, I just want to say that we see all the people that it takes to run the hospital in, in, these, in these times. And uh, we're appreciative of everyone um, um, in every, uh, every part of the hospital uh, that, that make what we do possible. Physicians are such a small part of taking care of these critically ill patients. And I just can't overstate how appreciative we are. And uh, we, you know, we appreciate everything in these last, you know, 18 almost 20 months now. Uh, so thanks for everything that you do. Shout out to uh, uh, to um, my my old family at uh, LSU uh, Trauma Surgery Department and uh, my new family at Advocate Illinois Masonic and um, really show uh, the healthcare workers that um, you know of that you've seen that your friends and close fr friends with um, your support for them uh, by getting vaccinated, wearing the mask. It's safe, effective, and it's the only way we're going to beat COVID. So, if you are not already aware, <clears throat> they constructed um, 8,000 stands enough to hold 8,000 people at the old um, Field of Dreams field where they filmed Field of Dreams, the, the Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones movie. Um, and they're playing, the, the Yankees and the White Sox are playing tonight. Frank Thomas, the, the big hurt, you know, from, from the White Sox, is dressing up as James Earl Jones, and he's helping to call the game, and Kevin Costner is actually going back to the, to the stadium. They showed him there earlier, and I just, my little baseball heart is so happy. So, if you haven't seen the Field of Dreams recently, well, one, watch the game tonight, but two... You know, grab grab your favorite uh, favorite snack and one of your loved ones, and sit down and watch Field Dreams this weekend because oh, there's just nothing like it. I'll I'll do a quick one. I want to shout out to the state of West Virginia. I just had a great trip through it. We did a bunch of camping. The people are amazing. They're so nice, 
uh, and so it was a uh, it was a great experience, and uh, it it definitely changed my my opinion of uh, West Virginia. So it's a beautiful state with beautiful people. Thank you.